Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. We're all good to go, are we? All good. Yeah, he's very diplomatic, isn't he? (laughs) I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. I'm I'm the only East Coaster in our family, and if anyone knows Scotland, that's a big that's a big deal. This week, we're talking to former Royal Marine JJ Chalmers and his older sister Ruth Padmore. Nothing annoys me more, in fairness, than losing time when you're doing a job in the yeah. workshop, whatever, because you spend half an hour looking for the tool. That definitely came from mum and dad. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. All I knew is I'd been clattered really badly. I remember wanting to do something about that, you know, like, right, get a tourniquet on this arm, whatever it might be. But basically both my arms had come off, so there's nothing I could do for myself. As much as all of this is JJ and his hard work and his personality that has got him where he is today. None of it happens without a big family of supporters behind him. And in a new twist, I'll be delving a little further back with the help of our sponsors, Find My Past, the family history experts. Oh, according to the records? According to the records. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> let's yes. hear. Right, let's hear then. <laughs> Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Ruth and JJ grew up in Scotland. Ruth was born on the west coast and JJ on the east. Their father was a vicar and so their childhood was spent living in the manse or vicarage. As a marine, JJ went on tour to Afghanistan where he was severely wounded in a night his sister Ruth remembers very clearly. We talk about that, about supporting each other through thick and thin and being mates with Prince Harry. But Ruth started by recalling the Christmas time that baby JJ arrived. I remember my mum being adamant he was going to be born before Christmas. So she walked and she walked and she walked up and down Princess Street until she realised that she was in labour and it was time to go to the hospital. He came home and made his first appearance, I think, at church on Christmas morning. (laughs) And your dad's a vicar, right? That's right. Yeah, our dad's a Church of Scotland minister. When we were little, he was like in a city centre church in Edinburgh. So as a vicar's daughter, you're quite sort of at the heart of a particular community, aren't you? So that must have been really exciting. Like the vicar had a new baby and it was Christmas and there you were. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, was, it was exciting. I remember just growing up in churches as being a really friendly and warm place to be and everybody kind of looking out for you. You know, we were almost like, you know, the children of the manse. So we were very, very lucky at Christmas time with lots of little extra gifts that none of the elders or members ever forgot about us at Christmas time. So it was lovely. <laughs> It was on the, the outskirts of Edinburgh, overlooking the Pentland Hills on the south side. It was it was beautiful. It's really interesting. I remember listening to David Tennant, Doctor Who and whatever else fame. Well, his dad was a minister as well. Uh, in fact, worked next door to my dad. They were good friends growing up. And I remember listening to David Tennant's Desert Island Discs and just thinking, that is my childhood. 
and it was just the way he described things like yeah that it it was a very busy place now and again it's it, the manse is both your home but it's also sort of an extension of the office an extension of the church so a lot of people were coming and going looking back now having been back to see it as a now 40 year old it's probably a wee bit smaller than yeah i remember it being when i was a kid when i was little i just thought it was this very very grand kind of house with a big fancy living room that had a glass door on it that had a key and mum and dad used to lock it. There was a, it was a fancy living room that we weren't really allowed in and that was always kept nice but that was you know I understand now because that's where the congregation came and had a cup of tea and talked about whatever they had to talk about and whatnot because listen the other thing growing up as a as a minister's son the one thing I will say is that you're always kind of on show you have to at the very least behave yourself and what sort of little brother was JJ? Can you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was an energetic little boy, I think would be um, a good way to describe him. Always in the thick of it. I have always been full of energy. And as is the case with my son, you've got to engage me or else I will go off and engage myself. Or you need to figure out a way of, uh, you know, containing it. One year he played the role of a jack-in-the-box in the the Christmas nativity at church because my mum just needed to contain him in one place for a a long time. The famed (laughs) jack-in-the-box. Yeah, I mean, I think I probably knew exactly what was going on at the time as well. But yes, I was, I don't know, energetic, unruly. I knew where the line was just about. He kept saying, is it time to get up yet? And she said, no, just stay in the box, stay in the box. And I just sat there in this box for the for the whole show, just being like, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn? Do I go? Do I jump up yet? Uh, and eventually my big moment came and I got to, you know, jump out on stage, I guess. But yeah, I do remember it well. So then at the very end of the nativity, he got to jump out the box. So yeah, he was a lovely wee boy, <laughs> but very energetic. <laughs> so was it no surprise to you when at university he decided um, to join the military as somewhere to put that jack-in-the-box energy? All three of us went to boarding school for our kind of senior years and JJ got involved in the cadet force at school and oh, he really grabbed that with both hands. So, yeah, it was no surprise to me when he decided, when he left school, that he was going to join the reserves. Obviously, Afghanistan had already started well before he'd left school. So I probably always just put it to the back of my mind that he would ever actually go to Afghanistan. You know it's a possibility, but I think you always just hope it's not going to come. So um, I will never forget being told that his papers had come up and he was going to go off to Afghanistan. We'll come to that bit in the story in a little while, but I didn't realise you guys had gone to boarding school. I wonder if you could tell me what boarding school was like. Um, I think all of us, if you asked us... Our first thing we'd say is that we loved every minute of it. It was, for me, being the oldest, I think, quite a funny time because I remember feeling a bit like a second mum to David and JJ because I could see that both of them, having a bit of mischievousness about them, would want to get into a bit of bother, you know, and I would be the one that would be saying, don't do this, don't do that, because you'll get a phone call home to mum and dad and then you'll get in trouble. And I definitely was a bit of the mother hen when we were away at boarding school. <laughs> Your mum's like eyes and ears remotely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And she still is. Like, that's not changed at all. I mean, she's been doing that since day dot, let's be honest about it. But that works both ways as well. Like Because she's mum's eyes and ears, she is the sort of second mum to me. And what I mean by that is, even to this day, 
if she asked me to do something without even thinking twice I would just stand up and do it and that as a teenager was just sort of like go and get my shoes and I'd be like absolutely and like, I'm like wait a minute have you hypnotized me how does this work having said that you know it would be the case then and it's definitely the case now she would do anything for me these days and certainly does I remember the day of Prince Harry's wedding I was at home looking after his baby and my three kids and our grandma dementia watching Prince Harry's wedding on the TV and thinking, I'm looking after his kids so he can go to this. This is really quite <laughs> Seriously bizarre. Unfair. <laughs> Serious unfair, you know. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, amazing. Amazing what he's I'm achieved. sure he took you out for a slap-up champagne dinner after that, though, didn't he, Ruth? <laughs> um, I don't recall that, actually. <laughs> I'm going to have words. This is bad, brother. Yeah, you can have words. <laughs> so some of the jack-in-the-box energy was well-directed then when you joined the cadets at boarding school and then went on to join the Marines. I wonder if you could tell me about your early army career, please. Well, yeah, I joined the Marines when I was 17. I left school and I went on a on a, like a camp with the cadets. And that's when I made the proper decision that I was going to join the Corps at that point and came back from that, pretty much phoned up the recruiting office. Uh, and I think I was doing selection, I don't know, a couple of weeks later. That was the beginning of a huge part of my life that still is to this day. I mean, it... it when you're in an organisation like the Royal Marines, particularly from such a young age, it has such an informative like place on your mindset more than anything. There mm. isn't a facet of my life that it doesn't sort of touch because ultimately it's the way that I think and it's the way that I, what we would call, operate. I can point to pretty much everything I do to these days and I can see a little bit of what the what the core, not necessarily taught me, but allowed me to learn myself, which is the kind of really un- underpinning part of it. I think that's really interesting, but also I'm slightly snagged on your age when you joined up. I've got a 16-year-old son, Mm. and I wonder when your energetic boy, who has all your genes and your markers, is 17, whether you'll look back on that decision to go to the office to sign up somewhat differently. Yeah, it's an interesting one, because, listen, when I was 17, it meant that my mum had to sign a piece of paper to say that I could join. I clearly remember exactly where I was when she sort of took the decision to to say I could. (sighs) You can't you can't stop your children, you know, wanting to achieve their dreams. And that was my thing at the time. My mum wasn't going to stop me going for it. And she also knew that if she'd said no, I'd have just waited, a, you know, a year, six months, whatever it was, and done it anyway when I turned 18. Yeah. So let's rewind then to when yeah. his papers did come up and he was called to go to Afghanistan. And you said that was a bit of a, a heart-stopping moment for you. Yeah, Yeah, it was, and I probably get a bit emotional thinking about it now. I was actually on holiday in Paris with my husband and our two kids, who at the time were uh, just coming up for two and four, and I had got them off to bed one night, and they were tucked up in the little twin room in a mobile home, and my mum and dad had come to stay with us for a few days of the holiday. I went into the bedroom once the kids were sleeping and I found my mum standing in between the two beds looking down at my son in floods of tears and I said what is it and she just looked at my son Luke and said that's what JJ's like to me and now he's going to Afghanistan he's just my little baby and that was the first that I knew that these papers had come through I think because I'd seen my mum so upset that was like a a heart kind of in your mouth moment where you realised what was happening and what the possibility was 
your sister Ruth painted a really moving picture of what it was like when that news kind of filtered through to her. She was on holiday in Paris with your mum and how she felt so protective and so scared for the reality of going on a tour. Joining up is one thing, a tour is quite another. Yeah, it's the the reality of being in the armed forces and particularly being in the Royal Marines. You have to live by your choices. It's very easy to stand in the bar and brag about the fact that you're a Royal Marine and sort of live the good parts of it. But you've got to take the... I, I mean, I was about to say you've got to take the bad parts of it, but it's not the bad parts. I mean, serving in Afghanistan was the greatest privilege I've ever had in my life. Hmm. You know, I'm thinking, that's six months away and JJ's going to be fine because he's always fine. You know, since he joined up to the Royal Marines, to the reserves, he'd done all these amazing things. You know, he'd been to to the jungle, he'd been to the Falklands, he'd been to forests in the pouring rain, in the mud, wherever he'd been, he'd always been fine. So I think you just have to think, you know, he's going to be okay. You can't allow yourself to think that it's going to be any any different, I think. I was going to say, you can't really go around with your nerves on the outside of your skin all the time because it would be unbearable. So I think you have to be sort of cluelessly optimistic most of the time, yeah, don't you? Yeah, I think you do. And it seemed very, very quick from hearing that he was going to the pre-deployment training being over and him being gone. And uh, yeah, you know, once he went off to Afghanistan, your your lines of communication are really, you know, pretty minimal. But what I will say that was, this is all in hindsight, is that from where I was standing, it was so normal. You know, everybody, I was in the Marines, everybody that that I had gone through training with, everybody that I, you know, I I worked with on a daily basis, like had been to Afghanistan or was going to Afghanistan. It was just, it was just the job. So it's amazing how what some might sort of term extraordinary can become very ordinary in those circumstances. But the important thing is that, that for my family, they weren't exposed to that. And so that's, that's what I realize now. This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. In 1921, England and Wales were reeling from the Great War, and it shows in the census entries of surviving soldiers. Retired Army officer Harold Samuel Alpen apologised for typing his form, explaining that he lost half his right hand in the late war and cannot write properly. Another former serviceman simply wrote, ruined by war, in the section for occupation. How much do you know about your parents' and grandparents' lives in peacetime? Find out in the 1921 census, exclusively available online at findmypast.co.uk. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, the story is familiar to a lot of people, but your tour in Afghanistan ended in you being really badly injured. The thing that you feared, not the most, but almost the most, perhaps, happened, and for your family. Um, can you tell me what happened from your point of view the day that it happened and what you recollect, please? Yeah, it was the 27th of May 2011. Uh, I was a part of a big operation into some pretty... A pretty dodgy neighbourhood. Uh, we were in a part of Afghanistan that hadn't seen much in the way of uh, security forces, and it was—it had been a lively week up to that point. It was the day before my oldest fourth birthday party, <laughs> and she was turning four the next day. And the last time I had spoken to JJ was just a few days before, and um, when he phoned to say, "I'm going out on a special operation, and I'm not going to be able to um, phone on her birthday, but I'm just phoning to say happy birthday to Tamara." We were tasked with searching a suspected bomb-making factory because our big threat out there were these improvised explosive devices, IEDs. Uh, and so we were sent in to sort of secure and search this facility that we thought was being used to create these devices. And whilst we were conducting that search, uh, at one o'clock on a Friday afternoon, doing something which is very normal, <laughs> I should I should say very ordinary for that point in my life, um, suddenly a, a, a bomb was triggered. Uh, and it absolutely tore our multiple to pieces and sadly ultimately killed three, wounded three. Um, but there was just enough guys still there and still in one piece to, to get us off the battlefield and, and get us get me home eventually. I remember I was off work. Um, it was a Friday afternoon. My husband was upstairs in the bath and my youngest child at the time I was um, going to get him changed and get him organised for kind of an early bath and bed and things like that. And I was just about to go up the stairs with him when my front door flew open and it was my mum who just said, you need to come now. The Marines were at the door. Something's happened to JJ. What do you remember of the actual moment, the impact? Everything or nothing? Um, I took a big knock to the head when I was injured. It means that I remember sort of split-second images of the entire day. Uh, but at the point of injury, I just remember talking to my friend and then all of a sudden being on my back and just being in agony uh, with my ears ringing, the dust settling around me. <laughs> it really was kind of like a movie. And then immediately thinking, like, what has happened? All I knew is I'd been clattered really badly. And then, like our training kicks in it's that right first aid you know get a tourniquet on this arm whatever it might be um but basically both my arms had come off so there's nothing i could do for myself so thankfully what i you know what i remember is that my friends jumped on top of me and they saved me and that is that's that was you know what a thing we all raced to mum and dad's house and there was two royal marines at the house um to basically say that he got to Camp Bastion at that point, so we just hoped that that he was going to survive the night, really. I, I very much, I was very lucky to come out of that. Well, 
I was lucky to be alive, but when I say luck, it's not luck. It, it, it's the it's the work of incredible people who are very good at their job. It's not luck that I was surrounded by other Royal Marine Commandos who were extraordinary mm. and they saved my life. What were the injuries you sustained that day? To, su- to sum up my injuries, uh, <laughs> both my arms had, had pretty much come off. My right elbow had been absolutely destroyed and about uh, only about uh, two inches of my flesh was holding my arm on along with the nerves just about they were damaged though uh, and the blood supply was just about intact uh, my left hand I'd lost <clears throat> two of my fingers but all the other fingers had come off and kind of needed stuck back on I had a huge amount of nerve damage in both both arms I had huge amount of holes in my legs um, and pretty you know every other inch of my body but my legs in particular they were full of infection full of frag full of dirt um, mm. my face had been crushed my neck had been broken. My eardrums were burst. I, just pretty much everything from the knees up it, on the outside had been damaged. And what I mean by that is, thankfully, because of my body armor and whatnot and helmet, um, you know, my internal organs were, were were all right. I had a mild traumatic brain injury, but that was that was more from just getting banged in the head really hard rather than a trauma that had directly hit my head. Thankfully, mm. my body armor, etc., had done what it was meant to do. We just had to spend that first night not really knowing anything about any injuries or what what to expect. Um, so, yeah, that was a long night. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a long night and also a surreal one, maybe. Yeah, it was. My mum has spoken quite a number of times over the years about my, my, my dad struggling a lot that night. My mum was saying, we just need to pray. And my dad said, I can't. I just can't even pray. We just need to hope that everybody else is doing it for us. And um, and they were. You know, there was congregations across Scotland. The, the news rippled through very, very quickly that something had happened to JJ. There was people sending messages saying, we've lit a candle and we're all praying for you. Yeah, and hard like to see your dad. He's obviously been a bit of a rock of uh, a man of faith to to be in that position of not being able to sort of do what he probably wanted to do. That must have been hard too, I think. Like everybody, when you struggle and there's something difficult, you turn, you try to turn to your parents. And our parents had always been the rocks and they continue to be that for us. But yeah, it was, it was a really difficult time. And, you know, once JJ did thankfully get brought back to the UK, once we got to the hospital, even at that point, my dad was just like, to the surgeons, well, you just have to fix my boy. You you just have to fix him. You know, it was a, a difficult time, a really difficult time. So he's back in the UK with some fairly profound injuries, but he then endured a lot of operations and rehab. And you're a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> you're a sister and a nurse. That's probably a little bit too much insight some of the time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is a lot to take on. I remember my mum, her biggest worry was, what if I don't recognise him because we had heard that he had some facial injuries. She said, oh, I had to take a big deep breath before I went to see him. And then she came out a few minutes later and the sense of relief on her face that he was there. And she just said, he's still JJ. He just still looks like JJ. You know, I went in with his at the time girlfriend, Cornelia, who's now his wife. And I remember holding her hand and saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's still just JJ. When we got in, 
But I do remember the anaesthetist starting going over ventilator settings with me and how much pressure support he was getting and all these kind of medical things that I was thinking, oh, right, okay, I should I should be taking all this in because this is my bread and butter. But actually, you know, the most important thing to me was JJ in the bed. Yeah, that's definitely a moment of my life I'll never forget. <laughs> when I was still in a coma, it was the first time my my. Cornelia saw me was alongside my sister and they went in together and she explained everything and I think that helped and then one thing I absolutely remember from such an early point in in being in hospital because I've I'd never broken a bone never had a stitch never been in hospital (laughs) this was that's one way to break your kind of hospital virginity exactly this is like (laughs) I am in and I'm in at the deep end that's pretty classic of me (laughs) if I'm being honest Yeah. yeah yeah exactly so I'm all in on this one I was astounded by the, you know, the, the care that I was receiving around me. You're in so much pain. I mean, I cannot, I cannot, I, thankfully you don't really remember the pain. You don't feel it. Well, I mean, I am still in pain, but not this level of pain. But I remember looking to the nurses and just thinking, you guys are incredible. And so I do remember pulling my sister in real close one day. And I just remember saying, you're an absolute angel. You're an angel for what you do. Because yeah. you know the work of the work of a frontline, um, you know, service of any form, but particularly of healthcare, is just unimaginable. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so much responsibility. Uh, it's probably undervalued, but to to the to the individual receiving that care, it means absolutely everything. And to look at him now, he's zipping around the country doing a trillion things every yeah. five seconds, from Strictly Come Dancing to working as a reporter on the one show and being mates with Prince Harry and everything in between. Mm -hmm. That day when you walked in with Cornelia, sort of white knuckle holding hands to now, that must have been something you didn't really expect. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's been a roller coaster, I think, to be to be part of it, to stand on the sidelines, to to help him to get where he is today, because as much as all of this is JJ and his hard work and his personality that has got him where he is today, none of it happens without a big family of supporters behind him. Mm. Um, and I think he would acknowledge that um, sometimes. <laughs> JJ might take a wee bit of encouragement from him to acknowledge <laughs> that... We'll make him do it on this podcast. Yeah. We'll get it on site. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> it might take him a bit of a persuasion, but he, you know, he, he appreciates it. I know he does. The the physical adjustment is one part of it, but the mental adjustment uh, post trauma is, in some ways, the hardest part of it. Um, becoming dependent. I've been a Royal Marine Commando. We are very independent. <clears throat> Being someone that is now taking but not giving anything back is horrendous. You know, initially he was completely dependent on people doing everything for him, and then there was a period where we had to help him learn to become independent again. And then there was times where he came home from hospital and he just wanted to go back to his old life. And also the length of this was the sort of wrapping your head around the forever part of it has taken a long time. I mean, at first, at first, because I had still had my legs. So my understanding of getting blown up was you lost your legs and that meant, you know, your career was over. And so I still had my legs. And so I thought, 
excellent. Patch me back up and send me back to Afghanistan. And I and, 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 really, yeah, absolutely. Like I thought I would be back in no time. But the doctors were like, this is going to take like a year and a half to two years to recover from. And then I remember about three years later, a doctor saying to me, this is going to take about another year and a half to two years to recover from. And at that point, I actually like believed them. I was like, oh, yeah, I get this now. And then actually five years later, when you're medically discharged from the Marines and you think you're done, you realize actually this is never going away. And what about your relationship then as brother and sister? It's gone through loads of iterations right up until that point, the injury. What about from injury to recovery to now? Has your relationship changed? Mm, that's a good question. Probably probably a wee bit, yeah. I would say that my relationship with my sister has never been challenged. That's the beautiful thing about it. She has been an absolute rock in all of this and was from the very beginning and was from the point before I even woke up. The the really acute times of his injuries, it did change. And there was some difficult times where we kind of had to have difficult conversations with him um, about how what he did affected other people now because he was more dependent. And that's not Mm. what somebody in their early 20s wants to hear. Somebody who had been able to travel the world and um, go to Afghanistan, he didn't want to 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 hear that actually what you do if, uh, what you do on a daily basis does affect other people in Asia. So you need to maybe be more a bit more considerate about other people and think of others. Um, so there were some difficult times. I will live with my disability forever. Like that that phrase that sometimes gets thrown around of oh and he overcame his disability. That's nonsense. You learn to live with a disability. You can overcome the initial trauma, but the actual disability is something that you need to learn to live with. And and. You know, like, look look at, you know, it sounds like a silly example, but doing Strictly Come Dancing, I it ultimately landed me in hospital because, you know, the, the this physical exertion that I put on myself, but that's the reality of living with a disability. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I, this, I, I, it's the side effect of being alive. I'd rather take that and be able to do these things uh, over the alternative because the alternative isn't that I should be absolutely normal and non-disabled the alternative is i should be in a box in the ground like that let's Mm. make that very clear Mm. now i think just how do you keep jj's feet on the ground you know he is a a guy now who like you say is friends with prince harry he's traveling the world he has more stamps in his passport than i will ever have in my life and we always just say well you know remember where you came from and he's pretty good at that, but there's always moments where we have to say, "Come back to, come back to Earth, JJ," and think <laughs> get of too big for your britches. Yeah, don't get too big for your boots. Um. <laughs> Listen, my life is very silly. Uh, let's be quite honest about it. Of course, it's work. You know, I go and I and I graft and I do my bits and pieces, <laughs> but some of it's pretty glossy and pretty fun, and uh, <laughs> I, I shan't complain. And yes. There is another part of my life which is the bizarre stuff like ending up at royal weddings. I mean, I always say that that William's royal wedding I listened to on a wind-up radio in Afghanistan and a few years later I'm now at a royal wedding. So that's Mm. absolutely bizarre. Yeah, (laughs) I did sort of say, though, I did sort of stir the pot a bit and say to Ruth, well, surely... When you got back from the wedding, she, you know, you treated her to a slap up meal with some champagne to say thank you for looking after four children and an elderly person with dementia. And there was a bit of a silence on the tape, JJ. 
I can't remember that far back. That would be the problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's very problem. diplomatic, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Do you blame your the sort of brain injury leftovers for oh, short-term yes, memory? Oh, yes, yes. That might be part of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just keep a score and Ruth can email me when it's happened. It's yeah, fine. Right. <laughs> now, listen, on this podcast, we're, I'm really interested in brother and sister relationships. What happens in the nuclear family if you shared a home when you grew up? But the sponsors for Relatively Find My Past, well, they're amazing. They can take your family right back. Having said that, here's an interesting fact. Scottish family history research is a lot harder than English. Did you know that? No. Uh, No, I didn't know that. But happily, the 1921 census, all of that has been digitised and published just a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I have family history research to share with you. It's there's no groundbreaking sort of bombshells. There's no EastEnders uh, moment. Yeah, okay. They were not Robert um, the Bruce, King Robert the Bruce isn't you know, a descendant, that sort of thing yet. Your grandparents, are they Isaac and Mary, is that Yeah, right? they are. Yep. Oh, this is cool. Gran and Papa. Troon Gran and Papa. Yeah, Troon Gran and Papa. <laughs> or Isaac and Mary. <laughs> Mary Ann was appeared to have been married previously, according to the records. Oh, according to the records. According to the records. No. No. <laughs> Let's yes. hear. Right. Let's hear then. <laughs> I haven't. I don't know who she was married to before, but when they were married, Isaac was employed as a shipping clerk. That's, That's right. right. And their parents, John and Agnes, they are the ones that wrote in the 1921 census. They had four children. Isaac was the youngest. Yeah, that's right. John worked as an underground fireman for a coal mining company. That's cool. Mm-hmm in 1921 so I'm thinking about like appetite for danger and service and physical work it seems like something came through the genetic line yeah Yeah. Isaac we knew very well because that was the papa that lived lived with us and what an amazing guy he was (laughs) I mean one of the things that I loved about him was so he died on the 2nd of April is that right he did he died on the 2nd of April which was the day after the tax year ended so he finished his taxis did all the books and then went to bed and didn't wake up so he was very diligent. You know, yeah. he did his, he did that stuff. But he couldn't change a light bulb, <laughs> gifted in, in, in sort of being able to fix things or anything mechanically at all. No. Whereas my dad was the kid that used to, you know, I think he bought his first car when he was 13 or yeah, something. Took it apart. And took it apart and put it. it back together. And that's wow. where I certainly got it from. But it's a virtue in this family. You know, Ruth's pretty good with her hands too. And yeah. I wish I'd got his financial brain, though. That's for sure. Yeah. Our, da- our dad loves us dearly, but he would disown us if we couldn't do DIY. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. And uh, a couple of quick fire questions then, if you don't mind. If you needed to it. wind Ruth up in an instant, sort of press her buttons and get her going, what could you do? It's very hard to wind Ruth up, I'm being honest. She's very unflappable. Oh, I don't know. That's good. Mm. What would I do? I don't know. I actually don't know. He's so laid back. She is a, a person who will just find solutions, fix things. Um, and so I, I can't even think how I would begin to wind her up. Probably, <laughs> though, if you got in his workshop and you just disorganised his um, his screwdrivers or his clamps into wrong size order or something, that would, that would grind his gears. <laughs> Interesting. As you say that now, what I would say is that that is the perfect way of doing it. She's absolutely right. Everything should be in its place. Everything should have a thing. We like a good system. We like a good kit muster. It would wind both of us up to, oh, like the worst thing in my life. And listen, I've I've been to some scary places in my life. I was going to say, where are you going with well, this? I've, I've done some scary stuff <laughs> in my scale. life. I've done some <laughs> scary stuff in my life, but nothing f- terrifies me more 
than my Tupperware cupboard. Every time I go near that thing with something to put in it, I know just one touch and everything will come falling out of it. It's an absolute nightmare. It's the bane of my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that has not got a system. That's the problem. It's the one part of my life that doesn't have a proper system. Oh, but that he's, needs he's rectifying. about to build his new house and I bet you he makes a system for Tupperware. Oh, I'll have a Tupperware system. You know, don't worry about that. <laughs> like I think probably one of my favourite memories and JJ might agree or disagree was when we used to go on holiday to France in the summer. Mum and Dad used to buy wine and it had to be within the 72 hours of it coming out the bag into the bag and box, it had to be bottled. As soon and as we was, came as in. As soon as we came home from holiday. As soon as we came home from holiday, the first thing we'd do, start a production line, and bottling it, up, and then talking hundreds of litres of wine. And it was a proper, what a thing. proper... Yeah, like, everyone had a job. Everybody everyone had a job. A and uh, it was a very efficient bottling line, I'd it say. It was great. <laughs> Love those memories. Thank you to Ruth and JJ. And thank you too for listening. And a huge thank you to our sponsors, Find My Past, who are offering you the chance to start your family tree for free. Head to findmypast.co.uk to find out more. That's findmypast.co.uk. I mean, the funny thing is, she might not have said it, that Ruth's name isn't Ruth. Ruth's name is Jennifer. She's Jennifer Ruth Chalmers. Um, oh. Yeah. So they wanted to call her Ruth. And then my dad was sent off to the naming office, you know, to register the birth. And apparently on way, he thought, Ruth Jennifer Chalmers doesn't have as good a ring as Jennifer Ruth Chalmers. So came back and it was that way around. Now, that's how the story gets told. But I like to think that my dad had a moment and got it wrong. And I think that's probably more likely. (laughs) (laughs) Enormous thanks as well to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use this amazing song. Additional research this season by Rachel Oakes. And sound design, as always, by Nick Carter at Mixonics.com. We'll be back next week with more sibling stories to share. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, this didn't do a lot for you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.